Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Straight out of Austin, Texas, it's On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com, with your hosts, statesman sports columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first on Second Thought. On oh, Second Thought, episode okay. 233, brought to you by Hookum.com and our good friends at Bud Light. Cedric Golden here with Kirk Bowles and Duck. Wow. We've had some great broadcasters on this show over the years. Brent Musburger, Jim Nance, Kirk Herbstreet. Even Dick Vitale darkened our door. But we add another great, one of my <laughs> personal favorites, ABC ESPN play-by-play man Joe Tessitore joins us. He will be on the call on Saturday with friend of the podcast Greg McElroy and sideline reporter Katie George in Fayetteville when the Longhorns visit the Arkansas Razorbacks 6 p.m. on ESPN. Joe, how are you today, man? Cedric. I am great. Kirk, it's great to be with you. And I am not of that class of broadcasters <laughs> you mentioned. The only thing I will say is I'm as passionate as them. And if that passion comes through the broadcast and you like it, then God bless. And I'll tell you the other thing and why I'm really great. When you, when, I don't know if you've noticed this with me, I get really up when I <laughs> yeah. get a text. Time. <laughs> when, when I have the horns, like to me, like last week I had Notre Dame, Florida state. Right. Like there are certain assignments just by the brand name, but in my career, whenever I've had Texas, that's different for me. That's really different for me because I understand what it means. I understand the history, the legacy and the passion of it and the brand. And that matters great with me. So when I get a work week like this, I'm extra good, brother. I am like, pumped up and stoked and digging in and researching and ready and prepping. And I'm like ready to fire off. I'm ready to like play a game right now. <laughs> Boy, it's not even <laughs> close to Saturday. I don't he, care, he, man. He, I love it. I, I love honestly it. put the eye black under my eyes. <laughs> I'll run into a wall right now. I love doing the horns. Hey, Doug. I love the passion. Hey, Kurt, I believe in him because I'm telling you, I was, yeah. I was, I was with my wife earlier this summer and we're watching uh, celebrity Family Feud. And Joe Tessitore's on there, huh. and you think he was playing Who Wants to Be a Millionaire because he was on it. He was so competitive. I go, he looks like he's oh. ready to fight. I, I Seriously, you know, all the – listen, obviously, you, you know my other job is doing entertainment on ABC, so I get invited to some of the game shows. Every time I'm on one of the game shows – $100,000 pyramid, celebrity wheel of fortune. I make it to the last question, the last <laughs> puzzle, the last whatever, where it's like all on the line and I lose, <laughs> right? So now my family kills me. I mean, I was on celebrity wheel of fortune, Cedric and Kirk, celebrity wheel of fortune with the final p- puzzle. You stand in there with Pat, Vanna's over there. 
And it was only six letters, six letters, $150,000 oh, no. for charity. And I couldn't get it. And I, I was dying. That. And then I said it right after the buzzer. Oh, what was the answer? Put a steak right through me. Tip jar. T-I-P-J-A-R. <laughs> that's what we were watching. Answer. It wasn't Family Feud. You're right. It was and Wheel of Fortune. Talking to a guy that's put a lot into tip jars at bars. <laughs> oh, no. But no, you're correct, though. I was on uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was on uh, a $100,000 pyramid. Oh, and next week, by the way, next week I'm on $100,000. When the pyramid. heck do you so sleep, next I don't know. That's what espresso is for, Kirk. I hear you. I hear you. Well, we, we do love passion. And Sid, I don't know if you remember this. I'm sure you did oh, Sunday night. Yeah. And uh, if memory serves, Joe, you got a little excited that night as well. Well, how great of a game was that? Wasn't that a great game? Overtime. Like, that was one of those games. And we just had one this past Sunday with Notre Dame, Florida State. That was one of those games where you, you couldn't invent how you get to the score, score you get to to get to overtime. So if I said, yeah, here's what the score is going to be, you would say, oh, okay, so it's X amount of touchdowns and a field goal. No, no. In fact, we're going to have a 100-yard two-point conversion return to get to that score. <laughs> there were so many wacky things happening in that game. But my favorite part of that game is that still to this day, I decided not to do the regular play-by-play call. I just let the moment happen and whatever came out of my mouth and that Texas is back, folks, yep. phrase is both a line of derision and yet a, uh, a line that you embrace because it's the fabric of college football. And I love that about our sport. That's something that happens in early September in a random game can live on and live on and live on. You want to know what's going to happen on the Sunday games that happen in the NFL on Sunday five years from now? You're not oh. going to remember one of them. Not no. one, not one score, not one moment, not one thing that was said. They don't have the sport is different. They have the pageantry of the history of college. You're exactly Correct. right. Correct. You're exactly right. I was trying to think. Uh, you're doing the Arkansas game uh, this week. Uh, when do you go to Fayetteville? And I'm sure you've been there a bunch of times, having done SEC football. Yeah, Kirk. You know, I've done so many years of SEC football and so many years of hosting um, SEC Nation that I've been to Arkansas many, and SEC basketball, I've been to Arkansas many times. I always love it there. Um, I love the fan base. I think they're out of their minds. I think they are just, and they are so pumped up for this week. Oh, yeah. I mean, they are just so pumped up for this week. So I'll head there tomorrow. We're taping this on Wednesday, so I'll head there Thursday. I'll spend the morning with the Arkansas coaching staff, players, um, my crew, the production crew, and then we'll, we'll hook up with the Horns, when they get into town and uh, and then come Saturday night under the lights. I mean, that place is standing room only now. Uh, Razorback Stadium. Listen, when they think they're good and they've got a big dog in town, I've been there for Alabama games when Alabama's been number one in the country. I've been there for LSU games when the boot's on the line and LSU's really, really good. That place is different. That place is different. Like the tailgates, the hostility, the fun. Uh, the things you see, the way people are dressed, um, it's going to be rocking on Saturday night. Well, we were um, there in 04, and it was a rematch game. They yeah. came down to Austin and beaten the Horns in 03 with Matt Jones, the the quarterback that ended up playing receiver for the That's Jaguars. Right. And he's a great athlete. Yeah, we're walking into that. It was like a. It's almost like the Green Mile 
from the press parking lot to the stadium. And there were people on both sides of the street and they were yelling some of the most vile, just they, they oh. were ready for war. And my, our boss at the time, John Bridges, his voice went up like six octaves. He goes, why are they yelling at us? We don't play for Texas. I go, dude, they know we're not from here. That's and, they're, right. and, they're, and they're ready to roll. And that was a slobber knocker. And if Texas doesn't get out of there with a win, who's to say Texas ever plays in that Rose Bowl in 04 and, and, and has that magical run? That was a very important win for Texas uh, in their march to a championship a year later. Well, I mean, the, the programs have such shared history. Arkansas's first ever college football game against a college team was against Texas. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Southwest Conference. And obviously now, and, and here's what I love to this game, and it's really the subplot to the game, is the former Southwest Conference rivals, yeah. soon to be SEC rivals. So the fact that this is Texas's first game after the big announcements, I think is very, very appropriate. Oh, I the first game at an SEC team. Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what's funny, Joe, is that we know a lot of the Arkansas writers back from Southwest Conference days. And and I was on one of their radio shows with Quinn Grovey, former Arkansas quarterback. And and I asked him, I said, is who's Arkansas's number one rival? Is it still Texas? And he said it might be. You know, they've tried to have one with LSU a little bit. Missouri, that didn't really take. But it's amazing they haven't played in so long uh, regularly, and they're still their number one rival. What does that say about this rivalry? I think, I think, Kirk, I think they're right. I think the LSU rivalry, obviously, you got some geography there, but it's still a long go of it, and you got some overlap with recruiting, but it's more of Arkansas dipping their toe into the LSU recruiting, which is sa- same case with Texas. Um, and, and I do think that when you talk to Arkansas people, if you said, what, what hits you deep? It would be Texas. Um, so I think it's going to be fascinating to see what happens on Saturday night because this is going to be the re- the thing went dormant a little bit because of the conference affiliation. There have been games, but it went dormant a little bit. Um, you know, a lot of the fan base doesn't go back to having a, a working, functioning understanding of the 1969 game of the century and President Nixon. Right. But the history is so grand and so deep and so rich and so intertwined that I think we're going to get something special on Saturday night. I think we're going to have a wacky game, a one-possession game, a memorable game that reignites the rivalry when it does now become an annual conference foe. Now, for Texas, obviously, Red River is always going to be Red River. It's just like Alabama and Auburn, right? Right, right. The Iron Bowl is always going to be the Iron Bowl. It doesn't mean that through the years, Alabama LSU hasn't been the best damn thing you've ever seen or that Alabama-Tennessee at certain areas hasn't also been one of the best things you've ever seen. Um, I think Texas-Arkansas can be that. And um, the one thing I want to ask you about the Arkansas Razorbacks, uh, when we asked uh, Steve Sarkeesian about him, uh, mm-hmm. he was talking about Sam Pittman, and he goes, he's changing the culture in Fayetteville. How difficult is it to change a culture in that conference when you know every year you're on the firing line, Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M, and then those other guys from the East, um, that's a double-edged sword. And how difficult is his job? Well, they went winless in the SEC. 
and they're playing in the toughest division there is in football. I didn't say in college football, in football. All of football, yes. <laughs> yes, because com- comparable talent to play in the SEC West, you can be a good football team and play in the SEC West and get your head beat in every single week, every single week. So for that team to, to cycle back to four wins last year, when you're playing a conference-only schedule, coming off of the years they were coming off of is nothing short of a minor miracle. Pretty and to good. do it, piecing it together. But you know what he did? He hired a great coaching staff. That's what he did. So he goes out and he gets Kendall Bryles as the offensive coordinator, who you guys have familiarity with, with what he was able to do at Baylor. Then he goes and on, on defense, he gets Barry Odom, who was a former SEC head coach who's got great defensive pedigree. And he ends up with two linebackers that end up top 10 in the nation in tackles. He ends up with um, a defensive backfield that has arguably the bet in Catalan, arguably the best defensive back in the country. Now, people won't say that. They'll say, you know, the kid up at Notre Dame is better. They'll say others are better. You know, the kid down at LSU playing corner, Stingley's better. Hamilton's better at Notre Dame. Catalan may be the best and most productive defensive back in the country. And they win and they play competitive and the kids buy in and they're developing and fostering great relationships with the coaches. To, to watch what that team was compared to the team that had four wins and finished up the season last year, I mean, this team is ascendant. This team is – the program's absolutely heading in the right direction. And, and they came so close to having a better season record, as you know, Joe. I'm almost beat Missouri. They feel like yes. they've robbed by Auburn, you know, some questions. Well, they, I, I mean – yeah. you know, They could have had a winning season there. You know, absolutely. They really could. So that's what I'd like to ask you is how far away – uh, do you think they are to being a competitive program in the SEC? And you look at the Rice game, is is Arkansas the team that trailed 17-7 to or ran off 31 straight points? No, it's the team that ran off 31 straight points because they were finding themselves a little bit in that first half, and they were a little loose and sloppy on special teams. Right. And, um, and then things settled down with a quarterback that for the first time in his career knows he's the man and whatnot. Um, they are a winning football team and they're a good football team. They're just playing a schedule where that may not show up with your record. Um, you know, you're playing Texas non-conference, then you're playing the SEC West. I'll, I'll also say this. Um, Traylon Burks, number 16, is the best wide receiver in the SEC. He's the best wide receiver in the SEC. Wow. I mean, he's 6'3", 225, has hands as big as this, you know, uh, iPad I'm speaking on. And... Um, He's a physical, he's productive. He knows how to, his route running is superb and he's going to outmuscle you for every single catch and he can take the top off. He's a starting NFL wide receiver next year. Well, their quarterback, you, you mentioned him, uh, KJ Jefferson. Um, the guy has some moves and, and he's got a pretty mm-hmm. good arm. The opinions are varied on KJ Jefferson. They have been in the preseason and they are this week. Uh, Sam Pittman was asked about that and he goes, you know what? The only opinion that matters on KJ Jefferson is my opinion. Right. And so, what does that do for the confidence of a young kid when the coach goes and the coach knows it's a firestorm when you play in a big program like that? When the coach goes, "You're my guy. I got you." How much is that good for him? It's huge, and and the fact that it's been for uh, about three quarters of a year now, almost a year now, about three quarters of a year now. Um, so he's known that, which is really, really healthy through the spring practices, summer workouts, and through fall camp. 
He still has growth and refinement to go. KJ Jefferson is not a finished product at all. He's big. He's physical. He can run. He's got a huge arm. But he still has a lot of maturation to do as a quarterback, as a refined passer of somebody who understands and runs the offense. But the way he played at the end of the year at Mizzou, that was really where Pittman said, and I know that they were looking in the transfer portal. They were, they were speaking to quarterbacks in the transfer portal, and they just stopped. They just said, listen, we're good. This is our guy, and we'll work with him. And Felipe Franks, who was there last year, who came over transferred from Florida, was a wonderful mentor. KJ was one of these guys that I don't think realized what it takes to be a starting quarterback in the SEC, but he watched Felipe Franks, and he understood, okay, here's the level of commitment, dedication, film watching, how hard you have to push yourself to be that. And you're starting to see that now. And I think, you know, there are moments you see with him, especially in the second half last week, um, where you can understand why he's very hard to defend. I mean, he's a physically imposing big guy. He looks like a big tight end playing quarterback. Oh, yeah. So now the Texas defense will, will make things life hard on him. You know, Kwiatkowski is going to dial some stuff up and he's going to have smaller windows this week and better defensive players who can close uh, to deal with. So there's going to be turnovers. There are going to be sacks, but there are also going to be moments where KJ Jefferson is like a freight train getting loose and right down the middle of your defense. I was talking to uh, Quinn Grovey, as I said, and I said, when you're in the secondary linebacker and this guy's coming downfield at you, you're going to make a business decision. Do you want a piece of this or not? So And both quarterbacks, similar situation, very raw, very young. Uh, what have you seen out of Hudson Card in his first start against Louisiana for Texas? I think the kid's going to be special. I, I think the kid is going to be really special. Um, I think he has the potential to do some things that we haven't seen in Texas in a long time. Um, I think his arm talent is very, very evident. Um, and the one thing that I'm very impressed with him is – he can be on the move. He can be out of the pocket. He can be off platform and still spin it. Like this kid has serious arm talent. And I loved covering Sam Ellinger. Ellinger. And, and, you know, I mean, I did a Red River that was dynamic with him. We had the West Virginia game last year, some other games. And to me, that was like a Tebow-esque type of college football. That is not this. This is a guy that has the next three years – go on, you know, we're going to be talking about in a very different way, and he's going to be providing stats in an offense in a very different way. So I think the upside is huge with Hudson Card. When you look at this upside, um, the fact that he's got a Steve Sarkeesian, uh, a great play caller and a, and a former yeah. college quarterback himself um, at the controls, um uh, that's going to speed up his maturation, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about B. John Robinson. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, did, is the hype real? We believe it is down here uh, from, from an outside uh, viewpoint. What do you see on Bijan? Um, I think college running back and the precocious college running back who splashes early is the one position that we don't get fooled on. I think we get fooled on quarterbacks because we can see stats or numbers or wins, and they really may not be great. We can get fooled, um, I think, with defensive players who you realize, oh, no, they were just good at, at that level or they just did one – they were one-dimensional. They, you very rarely get fooled when you see elite running backs at the college level 
who physically are doing things you just know others can't do. And that's why I see with B. John Robinson. I see it lower base strength, um, power, elusiveness, stuff in the open field. He makes plays that you know for a fact others are incapable of making. Incapable of making. There was a play early in the West Virginia game last year that I was calling on ABC that he made. I think it was out of the backfield on the left side. That was like, that. come on. I think it was a spin move on the sideline. There was a play last week out of the backfield. His balance, his power. Um, he is strong. I mean, strong and has great balance. I, I don't want to get us to get ahead of ourselves because I always caution when we use superlatives of best, greatest, blah, 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 blah. At the University of Texas, you have to be extra careful with that because of, you know, Cedric Benson, Ricky Williams, and Earl Campbell, and the whole list. Uh, But I would be stunned if he stays healthy, that he is not of that tier that we're talking about. I will be stunned. They got another guy, Jordan Whittington, who they've been waiting a couple of years, had a lot of injury problems, and he flashed against Louisiana last week. Uh, Looks like, you know, a slot receiver. Like I said, he's been a running back, scored seven times in the state championship game. So he, he's kind of he kind of gives him somebody to take some of the heat off Bijan, doesn't he? And as well as Hudson Card. Yeah, Kirk, you mentioned it that he was a former running back because in the play that impressed me the most last week, that looked like a running back going through the defensive backfield. Truly, that did. looked like a guy who was you know bugs were hitting the windshield and it didn't matter, <laughs> and then spinning free. And, you know, it. Yeah. he looked like that. So I think if they can get him into space this week, that's going to be really, really good for them. Now, the yeah. one thing I will say is the linebacker level and the defense and the safety level for uh, Arkansas is their strength. Right. So Morgan and Poole and Catalan, um, those are different kind of beasts now. Those, that, that is not what Louisiana had. Um, that is the strength of the Arkansas defense. But I think Whittington can be a very good player for them. Very good player for them. But I, if I'm Sark, I, um, I have no problem of going downfield with, you know, Moore and Whittington and even the freshman Worthy. Um, but if number five is in the groove, I don't sure. care about who's getting touches. Right. I, I don't care if it's swing passes, screens, or handoffs. You can, he can touch the ball 35 times a game as far as I'm concerned. Take it to 1975, feed him, man. Uh, totally. Feed him. Like, I don't care if this is Fred Akers coaching. <laughs> I don't care if it's Mac with what he realized he had in front of him when he came over his first year. It's all, it's all the same, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and speaking of Sark, I don't know if you've had a chance to get to know him when he was at Alabama. I know him very, very well. Yeah, very well. Did, is that a great fit, do you think? And is he going to take them to the next level? That's what everybody's been waiting for. Yeah, so as, as you know, you know, Sark um, turned his life around and turned his coaching career around. So, you know, I've known Sark for many years. Um, I, I was with him when things bottomed out at USC, literally with him that week, did his final game there, spent wow. time with him that week. Wow. And I was with him when he was then afforded the opportunity to um, have his career recovery. When Nick brought him on just to be an analyst, Mm -hmm. I can remember standing on the sidelines with Stark at practice before a college football playoff game that Todd Blackledge and I were broadcasting and catching up with him and talking 
a little about football and a lot about life. So I trust in him because he's, in fact, I will go so far as to say this, and then we can get into the nitty gritty of Sark. I don't trust any man who hasn't overcome adversity. I don't trust any man who in life hasn't fallen on his face, stumbled. If you tell me you're a front runner, um, then I don't have a lot of faith in what you can bring to the table. Mm -hmm. Um, So I know where Sark has been and what Sark has overcome and what he's capable of. And what he's capable of is being um, among the very, very, very elite offensive-minded play callers in the sport. And um, a guy who has so much experience of how to manage both himself and people that from a program side of things, uh, you're going to be fine. He's been up, down, and all around, humbled in life, and with humility comes great gratitude. And I think that's the place that you're, you're finding this coach. So you have an A-plus level coach who has all the character traits you would want at this stage of life. And, and, you know, that's the other thing, too, is that in his two years with the Falcons, too, it seemed like he kind of brought an NFL approach to college. You know, he's, he's, he loves college football, as you know. He, he's like us, pomp. Pageant. But he feels like an NFL coach. But he feels enough. like Correct. solid in every detail and just polished. And do you, do you, yes. do you kind of see that, too, a little bit, Joe? Yes. And, and the past couple of years, you have to be that to work in Tuscaloosa. True. You know, I. I spend a lot of my year in college football, you know, down there. And you just understand it differently when you walk into that building, because there is nothing wasted in that building, that building. The only thing you do in that building is you find ways to make yourself and everybody around you better. And everything is with the purpose of winning. Um, So yes, that, that razor sharp efficiency is important and he has it. We love it. We love it. I know. Anything else that you see in this game or anything just the first week of college football? I don't know. Is everybody playing for a second after Alabama just shreds Miami like that? And we No, I think the one thing about week one, Kirk, is that we always overreact. Always. We always Always. forget that the biggest improvement is from week one to week two and that typically – Certain aspects of your team are not where they should be yet, whether it's special teams. Defense tends to be able to react and run to the ball and hustle, so that typically looks good. Offense is not in gear yet, unless you're Alabama. Um, But no, I don't think Alabama is unbeatable. Mm -hmm. I I think they're the best team in college football, but I think a full-forced, healthy Georgia team is absolutely capable of punching them in the face, as they've done in recent years. Haven't won. Um, I think Texas A&M, if Haynes King um, continues to develop, and I know somebody listening to a Horns podcast doesn't want to hear this, <laughs> but I think the Aggies with that defense and those offensive weapons with three game breakers who are interchangeable at receiver, slot, running mm-hmm. back, you know, swing back, right. are capable of beating them on October 9th. Um, and then I think they are an injury away from being very beatable because, uh, you know, they have a true freshman quarterback from your neck of the woods as the backup in Jalen Milrow. Exactly. Unless they want to go to, unless they want to turn the ball over to um, Bear Bryant's grandson. 
And you never know. <laughs> you never know with Nick Saban. You never know. So well, that's good. I'm glad the college football said isn't over with uh, one one win from Alabama. So we like yeah. it. Man, we we've just had a blast uh, having you on. We hope we're going to have you again. And before we let you go, we yes. got you on our hot corner. Okay. Yeah. You ready? I'm yeah. You go send it. Am I ready? Come on. I was born ready. Let's go. Okay. Number one, sir. Uh, what would your career have been if you hadn't gone into broadcasting? Uh, I'd probably own an Italian restaurant in Vegas and be the guy going around from table to table to table, shaking hands and knowing <laughs> and be playing craps from seven in the morning until I go to work at five in the afternoon. Oh, I love it. Yeah. You, you had me at Vegas. Uh, <laughs> hey, here's mine. I love you on boxing. And this Thank is the you. part of the show where Kirk could just shut the hell up because he is. Yes. Uh, your favorite three boxing matches of all time. Boxing matches or fighters, and I can do both. Fights are tougher for me because I've called literally a thousand fights. Right. Um, wow. Diego Corrales, Jose Luis Castillo is very high. What a last Gaddy, time around. Gaddy Ward one yes. is very high. I was ringside for it. And, you know, the fight of the century, March 8th, 1971, the first of uh, Frazier Ali it would probably round out my top three. Mine, mine are Frazier Ali one. Yes. Hagler Hearns. Yes. Leonard Hearns one. Those okay. Are those are, and by the way, you could interchange the other two you mentioned with my two, because my favorite fighter of all time is marvelous Marvin Hagler. Yes. So every so often I YouTube Hagler Hearns as just a way to, you know, get my mind. Get right. you going. It gets you going. Yeah. And then, so, but two of my favorite three fighters would be from Brockton, Massachusetts, because Rocky Marciano would yes, be sir. on yes, that sir. list too. But there's something about, so, you know, obviously I'm an Italian American son of an immigrant and living in New England and I'm a New England guy. So Brockton, Massachusetts is sort of our Mecca, right? Yes. Rocky Marciano, marvelous Marvin Hagler. It sort of defines the ethos of, of a lot of people that I respect and love. Love that. We're not going to get you, let you go eat pasta quite yet. Go we ahead. Got a couple, couple more. Please. Who's your celebrity crush? Oh my God. My celebrity crush. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even know where to start. My wife, probably some like old school, like, like, you know, I don't know. I, um, it can be the, you know, I'm a kid of the, I'm a kid of the seventies. So like, I was like the Bo Derek, Cheryl Teague era. Like, there you I, go. You know, uh, Farrah Fawcett. Uh, You know, I'm I'm the original. Like you know, you had the poster in your bedroom kind of guy. Farrah Fawcett, UT UT uh, co-ed. That's right. I said last one. Movie night at the Tessa Tours. You're inviting three three of your favorite couples over. What two movies are you guys showing? Well, so my family likes stupid cheesy comedies. (laughs) <laughs> um, and they like more recent ones. So, and I tend to not like that. And you know, my partner on ABC when I do our comedy show, Holy Moly, is Rob Riggle. Yes, so they end up they end up always want, wanting to watch Riggle. So we end up like watching stuff like uh, The Hangover and yes. Step Brothers. But that's not really me. I'm more of like a World War II movie kind of guy. So I'm like you know, Bridge Over the River Kwai, you know, nice. and um. You know, Von Ryan's Express, Dirty the Dirty Dozen. Yes. You know, awesome. like, like stuff like that. Like, you know, Jimmy that Brown is- with grenades, you know, as he's running through and that kind of stuff. Um, but nobody, but if you really want to know my guilty pleasure, nice. It would be like it would be like watching a 1960s James Bond movie. 
Ooh. Oh, that's Kirk. That's Kirk. I love James Bond. I love them all. Okay, last one, and we're going to let you go. Tell our v- listeners something about Joe Tessitore that nobody knows. He got a deep, dark secret, a skill, oh. something. What would that be? What would that be? Um, you, play, you play the drums. Did you? No, 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 politics. no, um, no, I loathe politics, bro. I loathe <laughs> politics. I think it's the greatest con ever put on America is politics. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, I would tell you. Um, so I had a catastrophic football injury when I played prep ball. Horrible. I had three oh, reconstructive huh? surgeries and was in wow. crutches. And uh, so that's when I started heading to the boxing gym when I got back from that because I my ankle. So I would tell you, I could at still at 50 years old, if you handed me a jump rope, I would take on anybody and go speed jump rope behind the back, crisscross, you name it. I'll, I'll jump rope in your face now. I love to, I'll, if I want to work out right now outside, I'll go grab a jump rope and go for 15, 20 minutes, put good music on. That would be, uh, you know, I think most people know, like friends and family know a lot too, too much about me and they're sick of me talking. But uh, that is that is one thing probably people don't know is is uh, my love for boxing training. Love it. Love it. Hey, give us give us your catchphrase for Longhorn fans right now. So you got it. Maybe we'll be saying this on Saturday night. Texas is back, folks. (laughs) How many times are they come back in five years? I don't know. Another comeback. Joe, man, we appreciate you so much coming on. He's, He's on the call Saturday night. With Greg McElroy, Longhorns, Hoggy, six o'clock on ESPN. Thank you, brother. We appreciate you. Guys, thank you. And everybody down in Austin, if you stayed to listen this long, I appreciate it. I love Horns fans, but everybody stay healthy and stay blessed. I'm just so grateful that we have this great sport and the ability to have this fellowship. Cedric and Kirk, thank you so much for even inviting me to be on. Thank you. We'll thank see you, you in the press box. Okay. Be well, guys. Later. Talk to you. So long. On Second Thought. It's On Second Thought, episode 233, brought to you by Hook'em.com and our good friends at Bud Light. Cedric Golden here with the Duck, Kirk Bowles. NFL season, Duck. We're going to talk a little Longhorns um, a little later, but first, friend of the podcast, John McClain, NFL writer extraordinaire of the Houston Chronicle, joins us and uh man what a what a great time of year john how are you i'm doing great guys how are you we're doing great too what season is this for you covering the the houston football franchise uh i haven't counted them my first training camp was in 77 77 so it's been a minute and a minute and how strange has this off season leading into this season been do you think People ask me if it's the strangest I've ever been through, and I said, no, that's not even close to when you're losing your franchise. You know, people <laughs> don't true. seem to realize what what that was like, and it lasted over a two-year period before the Oilers moved to Nashville after the 1996 season. And this one's weird because it's a Sean Watson situation, which is unprecedented in the history of sports at any level. And uh, – and, there's been no change in Watson's situation since March, despite all these breathless stories in the national media. He's going to Philadelphia. He's going to Miami. The fact is he would have been traded March if somebody met their price. He'd be traded tomorrow or today if somebody met their price. They haven't. They won't until all those legal issues get resolved. 
and we don't seem to be any closer to that happening. Plus, there's NFL, police investigations, FBI's looking into it, grand juries looking into it about indicting Watson. So nobody's going to give him what they want. So they carry him on the roster. He'll be inactive on game days. He comes to work every day, just like a third quarterback would. He goes through all the things that he has to go through and goes, works out, and uh, then he's going to be inactive. And when the time comes that somebody makes them an offer they want, they'll take it. But it's looking more and more like that'll be closer to the draft in March. And in, uh, I don't know if it's April or May next year. Right. You next know, we, we, we had Deshaun Watson at an event in Austin a couple of years ago, Kirk, and um, the kids just were loving it because he had a great story. Uh, you know, how his mom raised him and his and his siblings and 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 how he gave back and gave his first check to the cafeteria ladies after the flood damaged their homes. Just it was just a super conversation. And um, what's the shock? What is the shock level? I know it's been going on for a while, but what's the shock level in your city, um, John, because. Uh, you know, J.J. Watt gave back and Deshaun gave back. And uh, I know sometimes you think, you know, guys, and then all these allegations come out, you know, innocent until proven guilty. But uh, on, on a local level, what's the shock value that all of this is taking place? Well, Cedric, people here are way beyond that. That goes back when it first came out in March. And it's just almost like you're numb to it. There's serious accusations from 22 women in multiple states. There's other women, too, who came forward in uh, Sports Illustrated, but have not joined the lawsuits, civil suits with Tony Busby, plus uh, Watson's attorney, Rusty Arden, had 18 uh, people who'd given him massage, say he'd been a perfect gentleman, so that would be 42. And uh, But we haven't heard anything about a resolution being close. Meanwhile, he goes about his business, and so do the Texans. But do you, do you fault the NFL league office in any way, John? It, it seems to me like it's so hard to get to a final conclusion where you feel like you have every bit of evidence, you know, pro or con. But why can't the NFL take some kind of measures now and if you have to correct it or add to it or whatever, uh, do that down the road? But it's so protracted and drawn out. It's just such a cloud over this franchise, isn't it? It is, but the NFL is not their duty to rescue the Texans for a situation the Texans sure. are in with their quarterback. If charges had been filed, he would have been put on the exempt list because that's what Goodell has done with others who are put on the exempt list. And the exempt list is for players to get paid and then not be around. They would do Watson a favor if they put him on the exempt list and he didn't have to come over here every day and go through the motions with a team he'll never play for again. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why the Texans certainly – wouldn't do him any favors. Somebody said, well, why didn't they just pay him to stay away? Well, that'd be doing exactly what he wants. Why would they do what he wants after he's put them in this predicament with his trade demand? And they tried to talk him out of it, and he was adamant. So now they want to trade him, and he wants to be traded. At some point, he'll be accommodated. So do they not have any concrete offers, and how do you see this resolving itself in the months ahead? Oh, they've had offers. They've had low ball offers, but I've been writing since March. They wanted three ones and two twos. And I know a national writer wrote that two weeks ago and picked like, like it was news. And it's <laughs> certainly not news here. Right. And, uh, I think that he won't be tra- traded until sometime in the offseason if his legal issues are resolved 
and probably close to the draft because there are going to be a lot of teams that are interested in him. There were eight that I know of last year. Four of them mm. drafted quarterbacks in the first round. There's a bunch more could have quarterback issues after the season. Philadelphia with Jalen Hurts, Miami with Tua Tagovailoa, the Giants with Daniel Jones, the Lions with Jared Goff, Washington need, would need a quarterback. Denver's been in the running the whole time. Uh, Carolina's taking a chance on Sam Darnold, who was 38th in passer rating last year. So Oof. all those teams, possibly wow. more. Philadelphia, I can't remember if I said them and Jalen Hurst, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of teams that right. would be interested in Watson. And if you look at the NFC East, every team but the Cowboys could be interested. In, and if you can get teams, at least two teams in a division, bidding against each other, the price goes up. And if you think 49ers – Gave up three ones for Trey Lance. Who would take Trey Lance over to Sean Watson? Nobody. And no the fact way. that Watson's under contract, he'll be 26 next year. He's under contract through 2025. So once he gets past all this, you hope that he never has any more issues uh, off the field and that he plays another 10 or 12 years. Do you think they're asking too much? I know he's a great quarterback. I mean, for me, he's, he's, he's definitely top five, top 10 quarterback. But, get, but given the unique situation that he's in, um, are, are they asking too much or do you think that do you think that it's going to blow over and then they're going to get what they want for him? There's no such thing as asking too much. I mean, they may take less than that, but that's they've been adamant about that and they can spread picks over three years. So it's not like a team would lose its draft in one or two years. So I don't think for a guy as great as him, if you think you've got a quarterback and your issues are solved in 10 to 12 years, why wouldn't you give up three ones over three years? Because you got free agency, you got other picks, and, of course, you'll have probably after that another eight drafts with Watson. Well, most teams wouldn't spend a king's ransom. Would you have a not just a good starting quarterback but a great one? I don't know. Uh, I'd hesitate to go – future Hall of Fame, but he was on that trajectory. I mean, I don't think anybody would deny that. Uh, because of this cloud and, you know, Tyrod Taylor looks like a stopgap measure quarterback for the Texans. It looks like just a long, dark season uh, for the Texans. Do you have any reason for optimism that it might be something better than a three, four, five win season, John? Absolutely not. And truthfully, if you're going to be bad, be the worst. Be like the Rockets. They're Love the it. worst. In the NBA, they got the second pick. People are pumped here about Jalen Green and their their two first-round picks, first time they've had first-round picks since 2015. This time next year, if there were a quarterback who would they picked high in the first round, there'd be a buzz right now going right. into the season. And there's no Trevor Lawrence or Andrew Luck. Those guys come around about every 10 years. But as I've pointed out to people, when Kyler Murray was at Oklahoma – he wasn't a starter until his last year. Right. And then nobody had any idea how he's going to play in his last year. Zach Wilson last year with BYU had to compete for a starting job. Mm-hmm. Joe Burrow, who's ever heard of Joe Burrow outside no of Southern Louisiana? So there are quarterbacks who can emerge in their last year, and there's about 10 possibilities right now. And I know there's people here going, oh, Spencer Rattler's not going to be the guy after one game, which is one of the – Dumbest things I've ever heard. And you've heard a lot. I mean, yeah, you got Sam Howe. You, you get, they're out there, as you said. Uh, just nobody knows, you know, how they're going to mature. So, so what is the upside? If you know, I guess a lot of people's worst fears they're going to screw up and win 
four or five games and not get the first or second pick. Uh, is that a is that one of their biggest fears now for the fans? It might be for it, it might be for the fans. It's not yeah. for them. They they've had an interesting uh, off season of philosophy, but general manager Nick Casario and coach. David Culley, instead of getting rid of players and rebuilding with a lot of draft choices and undrafted free agents, their philosophy was, we want to lay a foundation. We want to build a culture. Let's get some hungry veterans who have been good at that with other teams and bring them in here. During camp, they had 53 new players, 30 with at least five years of experience. Now they have 31 new players on their 53-man roster, only five Rookies, but they're what they'll do next year when they have all their draft choices plus some extra picks for Watson. That's when they'll start to get younger. But these veterans will have, will have helped them establish that culture, and they think it's important. Now you mentioned Bill O'Brien; he's uh, now at Alabama and on the rehabilitation tour. Do you think Bill O'Brien could uh, uh, redeem himself and become a head coach in the NFL again? I do. I think Bill uh, had talked to an owner, the general manager, and say, look, I won four division titles in five years. I got to the divisional round twice. And uh, he said I'd coach Deshaun Watson, call plays for Deshaun Watson. And Bill's got a, a very powerful personality. And one of the good things about him being in the press box for Nick Saban, he can't blow up at anybody on the sideline. And Saban can't blow up at him on the sideline. And I think O'Brien probably learned from his experience here. I think after two years at Alabama with all that talent, and he's also working with his good buddy, Doug Marone, who took the Jaguars to the AFC Championship game in 2017, got fired after last season. He coaches the Tide's offensive line. so I, And he's been a two-time NFL head coach. So I believe he'll be back in NFL, and I believe O'Brien will be Back in the NFL, people think college, but I know O'Brien liked coaching in the NFL more than college. Bill may not want to go to an NFL team and work with lesser talent, though, after being <laughs> at Alabama. That's yeah, true, man. Yeah, and he'd, he would have to have a uh, salary cap. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Hey, well, well, it all gets started tonight. The uh, Dallas Cowboys <clears throat> at Tampa Bay, uh, the ageless one, Tom Brady against Jerry Jones. Chasing that fourth Super Bowl title. Uh, we've been talking about coaches. Is Mike McCarthy, a, who's a Super Bowl winning coach, uh, it's a small sample size, but it just felt like to me last year he was in over his head. Did the game pass him by, John? What do you think? Well, how would you have felt, Cedric, if Prescott been healthy all season? I don't think people would have been feeling that way. If you had Andy Dalton, you'd feel like you were in over your head too. I think I saw him win too much for too long up there, and he coached uh, Aaron Rodgers, and I think he'll do a really good job with Prescott. Their problem last year was he hired his buddy, Mike Nolan, who gave him a start as a coordinator. And now they have Dan Quinn, who's a proven defensive coordinator, and I'm not sure how much talent they have on defense. They're going to have score a lot of points, and I think they'll win the NFC East. I picked them to do it last year, and then, of course, Prescott got hurt, and I think they'll be good enough to win a playoff game at home like they did over Seattle two years ago and then lose in the divisional round. When will Tom Brady get old? I don't know. I, I started hitting me when he when I was younger than him, and uh, <laughs> I, you know, he's talking now about playing to 50. Who's going to doubt him? Usually when, when he starts to fade, we will see it. I don't think it's going to be something – it comes gradually, and I think he'll know it, and I think he'll have too much pride 
that's trying to stay out there. And we see people breaking on his passes and intercepting passes, or he can't get away from the rush and slide right or left and throw, and his timing is off and his accuracy is down. But right now, greatest player in history, so much fun to watch. I look forward to that game. I think it's going to be high scoring because the Bucks defense is, is good, not great. The Cowboys defense might be average. Well, what, are you looking for a rematch of uh, last year's Super Bowl again, or who do you got in the ultimate game? Well, no, I'll tell you what I did in our football section. It came out Friday. I kind of like to be different. I didn't think anybody else would do this until I started looking around the country. I picked Cleveland to beat Green Bay in the Super Bowl because I wanted to be different. Everybody else picking Green Bay, Tampa, or Kansas City. And, and one reason I did that, it's not far-fetched. The Browns have more talent than every team in the league. And nobody has more than them. And that's across the board. And as Baker Mayfield can keep from getting them beat, if he can just not throw interceptions in the wind up at uh, the banks of Lake Erie, I think they can win the division and and, uh, get farther than they did last year, which was the divisional round. If not them, I'd pick Buffalo. I'm just tired of picking Kansas City and, and Green Bay every year. And it's so hard to repeat. If somebody told me the bugs of the field, I'm taking the field. Any other sleeper in there? Anybody that you could – I kind of like the Rams' chances, but, boy, they can't keep running backs healthy. Matthew Stafford feels right at home. He had no running game in Detroit. He's got no running <laughs> game with the Rams. I think he's a dark horse for MVP. I, I think Josh Allen for MVP, Derrick Henry, Offensive Player of the Year, Miles Garrett, Defensive Player of the Year. But Stafford's going to have to throw the ball a whole lot. He's got better coaching. Better receivers, better offensive line, better defense. And he's never had a running game, so that's no big deal to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's not right up there in the running. I picked the Rams to win that division over the Seahawks after they beat them in Seattle in the playoffs last year. So uh, I think Stafford, people should keep a close eye on him. You know, uh, I, I think uh, there, there's going to be some transitions going on this year. These these young quarterbacks are here to stay. The Kyler Murray's, the the uh, Josh Allen types, Justin Herbert. But you have some old dogs. We already talked about Brady. Uh, we have some older guys that are starting to get into the twilight. Big Ben Roethlisberger. Um, the Steelers feel like they're in a transitional period. Is this the year that you think they fall off? Because I know Cleveland is a player, and uh, Baltimore has Lamar Jackson. They won their first 11 games last year, and where they failed last season, where they were last in rushing, I can't tell you. I bet they've never been last in rushing since Chuck Noll was hired. And so they remedied that with their first-round pick, Najee Harris, who is a three-down back from Alabama. He's my offensive rookie of the year. I see others picking Trevor Lawrence. No, I'm going with Najee Harris, and I'll guarantee you they're not going to finish last in rushing again. And they also have – T.J. Watt, I think he'll get his issues worked out. They'll still be good on defense. They always are. And it wouldn't surprise me if they make the playoffs. I didn't pick them to make the playoffs, but it won't surprise me. Big Ben, he still wants to play. As long as they give him some balance and people can't tee off on him like they did last year, maybe he can be more consistent from start to finish. How about that rookie class of quarterbacks? Uh, They can't all be – uh, great players, I wouldn't think. Uh, who are you most high on? Is Trevor Lawrence the natural one? And who do you think might be a bust out of this crop? 
Zach Wilson, if he had to compete for his starting job last year, he's playing for the Jets. Mm-hmm. Jets have been perennially awful. It's a new coach, new system. Hopefully they'll have patience with him. And it's only a matter of time for Justin Fields to play in Chicago. But we can't base anything on college or preseason. Kyle Shanahan loved Trey Lance. He played one game last year. And Shanahan's a pretty good judge of quarterbacks, but he still only had one winning year since he's been with the 49ers. And Mac Jones, Mac Jones is with a great coach. They've got good talent. But I've always thought, with the rare exception of like Andrew Luck and Russell Wilson, you start a rookie quarterback from start to finish, you're throwing in a towel. You don't know that. You don't believe it. You think mm-hmm. I'm a good enough coach and we've got enough players. We can coach around them and make the playoffs. But it's rare when they do it from start to finish. And that's why I don't see any of these quarterbacks taking their teams to the playoffs as far as which one should be the best. It's obvious it should be Trevor Lawrence. But mm-hmm. it's scary when you're Jacksonville and they've been so bad for so long. I'm writing a column for tomorrow about uh, Urban Meyer. I talked to him yesterday and I asked him, he got butterflies before a first NFL game. And he said, how about doubling over? And uh, already, oh no, is, here we go. It is his <laughs> it is his first game, and he is a rookie in NFL. And he and David Cully took diverse paths to get to the NFL's head coaching job. Cully, twenty seven years of experience in my course, one of the greatest in history. And so I can't wait to see how he does. If the Texans can't beat the Jaguars, a team they've beaten six times in a row, with a rookie quarterback, first game, rookie coach, first game. I think they all ought to be fired. The only one time in team history if the Texans opened the season against a rookie quarterback, 2009, they got crushed by Mark Sanchez and the Jets. Hmm. So Sanchez, but, wow. Trevor Lawrence just picked apart the Cowboys. It's hard to tell the backup defense from the starting defense with the Cowboys sometimes, but well, he looked good in that last preseason game. He did, but according to the Cowboys, they didn't have any starters in there. Right. And he had his starters. So I I I I do put some stock in the preseason stats if it's new players or if it's guys, mm-hmm. guys new to a team, or like in the Texas case, they couldn't run or stop the run last year. They were awful and they did well both in preseason. Last year they had the second fewest turnovers in the NFL since nineteen eighty. Lovey Smith came in and they had 10 in preseason. That was a league high. So uh, it when you're seeing something like that and you're watching Trevor Lawrence, who's the best since Andrew Luck in 2012, anything they do positive, it's encouraging. Mm-hmm. Well, two last questions I have for me is that what's the expectation of Charles Amenahu, the Texas Longhorn there with the uh, Texans? And is there a surprise team that you're thinking – I don't know, maybe they won't get in the playoffs, but they're a team on the rise, and you ought to look out for them. I picked to win a wild-card berth in the NFC, and, I, and, uh, and I'll guarantee you I'm the only person that did it. It was the Falcons, and the reason I did it, I'm real high on their new coach, Arthur Smith, and the job he did during 10 years with the, with the Titans and things I heard about him from behind the scenes, and, and I think they're going to have a great offense, even though he doesn't have – Derrick Henry. So I wanted to pick somebody different because you know there's going to be teams sure. that didn't do squad last year. They're going to make right. the playoffs. And so I picked them just because of him. And, I love uh, Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is a stud. He's they're going to they're, they're gonna utilize him like crazy. They've got two tight ends now because they don't have 
uh, a good running back, and those tight ends are better than anything he had at Tennessee, including Jonu Smith, who left on a free agent contract for New England. Right. And Menahu, what do you think they expect? Charles, I have been saying since Lovey Smith got here and they went to a 4-3, I expect him to be their most improved defensive lineman. Last year, he didn't play 50% of the snaps. The only lineman he did was J.J. Watt. He hit the quarterback 16 times. He had four sacks. So if you project that over a season, that's like eight sacks and 32 hits. And so he, it's weird. He he didn't play the first game. Last two, he had three sacks, played the run, did everything well. Now he's listed third on the depth chart. And I asked David Culley today, why is a man who listed third on the depth chart? He said, don't pay attention to that depth chart. He's going to be playing. He's going to play a lot. He mm-hmm. plays left end, and then passing situations, he moves inside to tackle. And I look for a man who to have his best season in the third season of his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, my last one, um, very, very interesting, uh, you know, change with the New Orleans Saints. The Drew Brees is no longer uh, the quarterback. Famous Jameis Winston won the starting job over Taysom Hill. Um, are people sleeping on the Saints? Because two years ago, famous Jameis did throw for 5,000 yards, and uh, even though he had 30 interceptions. He also threw 30 touchdown passes, and – Here's what I believe about the Saints. Most people are going to pick Dak Prescott for their comeback player of the year. Mine is Jameis Winston. And the reason is he was not the man last year. Drew Brees was. He watched and learned under Brees. He's in his second season with Sean Payton, who did such a tremendous job with Brees through the years. I think he's got a good team around him. It's a winning team. One of the problems for him with Bruce Arians. Bruce wanted to take a deep drop, throw the ball down the field to those receivers. So when you do that, you've got to be accurate. And I think now he'll throw a lot shorter passes that aren't as high risk. So I look for the Saints to be good. And I look for Jameis Winston to have a big bounce back. He's just going to be the comeback player of the year over Dak Prescott. Well, thanks for uh, sharing all the gold. And uh, when the Cleveland Browns are the last team standing, we'll remember our viewers need to know where they heard it first from our own John McClain. So, uh, yeah, when they're not, don't bring it up. Okay. <laughs> oh, you, you know, we will, Big John. You know, we will. He's John McClain, and you're not. We appreciate it, John. Man, we will get back with you sometime during the season. Thanks for more. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, brother. Thank you, guys. And I want you to remember two words. Yes. Second. <laughs> well, hold on. What's going on with your Baylor Bears? I'm sorry. I should have asked that first. We should have. Think about if you Baylor. barely beat Texas State, something's wrong. I'm ready for basketball season. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's always basketball season in Waco. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Appreciate Thank it, John. You, Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. Great stuff today from Joe Tessator and John McClain. We appreciate them dropping some knowledge on our little podcast. That will do it for episode 233. For Kirk Bowles, I'm Cedric Golden. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to One Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com. Join Ced and Kirk every Thursday at lunch for a new episode. Archived episodes are available on iTunes and Google Android Play.